Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., they help high achievers enjoy their lives more fully, manage their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com. Freeway Exit is a podcast from KPBS Public Media about the past, present, and future of San Diego's freeways. Learn the forgotten history of the San Diegans who built our freeway network and the activists who fought against them. Freeway Exit explores exciting and radical solutions for building a more sustainable and equitable San Diego. Listen and follow Freeway Exit from KPBS wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor in chief at Voice of San Diego, and I'm ready to do this podcast. I've been ready for two days now. Let's go. I'm joined, as always, by Andrew Keats, managing editor at Voice of San Diego. What's up, Andy? That's good. And fellow managing editor, Andrea Lopez Fiofano. What's up, Lopez? What's up, Lewis? It's great to see you coming up on the show this week. Rarely are we able to come to such a clear resolution on a story we've dug into for so long, but we will explain the dramatic plea deal and settlement that Jason Hughes agreed to this week with city lawyers and criminal prosecutors over the 101 Ash Street and Civic Center Plaza deals. If you don't know about those deals, stay here. We will explain and why we are so pumped to see a resolution of something we've followed so long. I won't get used to this. I simply cannot get used to this feeling I've seen it five or six times throughout my career here. We suspect something isn't how it's being portrayed. We investigate and publish about our theories about what's going on or what we've learned. We get threatened. We get accused of bias, of naivete, of being stupid, of just not being correct. And then the target of what we've been looking into, the person just acknowledges it. It's just such a mind-bending experience, and it happened again. We'll explain Also, city lawyers keep talking about setting aside a new safe space, a campground of sorts in Balboa Park for homeless residents at Inspiration Point. Now, everybody's an expert on Inspiration Point. And like clockwork, Balboa Park cultural groups are pushing back. Do people even know where Inspiration Point is? Why the city invites this sort of dilemma every time an idea like this comes up? We'll explain. Stay with us. Today is the first day of our spring fundraising campaign. We're aiming to raise $150,000 by April 5th. This is a critical campaign for us. And if we reach our goal, it'll ensure our reporters can stick with big investigations like 101 Ash Street, the homelessness crisis, the housing crisis, and more. No one covers San Diego like we do. Please give what you can to sustain a truly independent news outlet. And of course, when you give, you can write us a note. You can tell us what you like, what you want to see more of, or you can shout out your favorite podcast host, a.k.a. me. <laughs> There's one here from Dora C. I like the podcast. That's straightforward. There's no, no messing around, no extra words yeah. there, yeah. right? No bias. Uh, Jeanette Olivier, I want information on how San Diego is working on problems. It's the right place to come, right? Mm-hmm. Alfredo Guerrero says objective journalism is important to democracy. Join all of them at uh, uh, vusd.org slash podpeople. Support Voice San Diego. Make this happen. Help us make payroll. Again, that's vusd.org slash podpeople. Nice. So when I saw this quote, I knew that we had some good content for the podcast. Do you know what happened when I was editing the story? No. The second I read this quote, I LOL'd. Did you? So hard. I yeah, my my editing note was just the 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 comment feature and then just caps locks. Ha 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 ha. 
just had to like let Lisa know that I saw what was in there. Uh, so Lisa Halberstadt <laughs> did a, a story about this ongoing discussion of setting aside a big piece of land mm-hmm. so that people can camp, put their tents there. And then the ongoing discussion related to it of not letting them camp elsewhere, right? Mm-hmm. So, But key is to make sure there's a place for them to go. And they've been talking, and but not really officially talking, but sort of hinting and, and, and making clear that the place they're looking to set aside the biggest portion of land for a safe campground is at Inspiration Point in Balboa Park. Now, Inspiration Point, let's just describe this real quick. So if you go, you know, like say take A over to Park, mm-hmm. you go through the, the San Diego High School Community College area, you take a little turn, and then you got, you're up on a little plateau, and there's, a, there's a, the old Naval Hospital on the right, and there's a giant parking lot over there. And it's very large, and it winds out of view yeah, as well. It's, a, it's along the freeway. There's a big, there's a lot of solar panels covering it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's it's if you need a place to park in Balboa Park, there's always a spot there. Always, yeah, or a place to learn how to drive. <laughs> really? That's, that's where I learned how to drive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, uh, so that's one mark, do that, mark against <laughs> inspiration <laughs> yeah, points. Don't, don't go there. Don't learn <laughs> to drive there. It didn't <laughs> work so well. <laughs> yeah. For, <laughs> <laughs> just so thanks that was good so it's not a great place it's a parking lot and and there's you know i don't know how it got the name we should look into that obviously somebody was inspired sure probably before there was a it was freeway. surrounded by a freeway yeah I imagine and uh you know there's been talk about revitalizing it over time we had lisa in here talking a little bit about it a couple of weeks ago uh but this is what's happening. The city is getting closer to, you know, sort of analyzing and saying, this is where we'd like to have this. Mm-hmm. And this week, the Balboa Park Cultural Partnership, which is uh, uh, made up of 25 park institutions, informed city councilman Stephen Whippern, who represents the area, that the group does not support putting the campground there. And this is the quote we're talking about. This is from Peter Comiskey, the executive director of the Cultural Partnership. He said, quote, Inspiration Point is really the front door to Balboa Park. And we always want to make sure Balboa Park is a safe and welcoming environment for the guests who come to the park, for the volunteers and the paid staff, and the school children who visit the park every day. Yeah, the front door of Balboa Park. The front door, as we've all long agreed. The front door, I, I, I tweeted the front door of Balboa Park, really, and everybody who responded said, "I have no idea who where Inspiration Point is." <laughs> like people, like I've lived here my whole life. Where is Inspiration Point? One guy's like, "I can't believe they're doing that," and he was thinking of a completely different park <laughs> oh, yeah. yes. where he picnics. Yeah, yeah. and so uh, it's not the front door of Balboa Park. It's, By no means it is. It doesn't even look like a park. It's no. just, it's like the city that, yes, I understand the Balboa Park boundaries include it. Yeah. But they also include the Navy Hospital. And like, it's and not, a, yeah. it's not part of the park. They include a landfill. Yeah. They include the maintenance yard where the city of San Diego like repairs garbage trucks. It includes. That's Balboa Park. It includes San Diego High School. You're right. Uh, that's all Balboa, Balboa quote, park. Right. Uh, so. Here's the thing with that kind of comment. There's a lot going on there. But the first is these guys are just using sort of normal, not in my backyard, reactionary sort of rhetoric, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't need me to sign off on that. That's yeah. un, un, unimpeachable. Uh, it's And it's one thing, like, this is where you just say, like, look, you guys don't want this there. Yeah. Just and, say that. Yeah. And I, you don't I, have to make up. Something it's, about how special Inspiration Point is. It is it's such a transparent pretense. Like, you don't want this here. We can all fill in the blanks about the, all the reasons that you don't want this here. We, we can have that argument. Maybe maybe you'll prevail. But don't pretend that you have anything special going on at, at Inspiration Point or that anybody holds it dear. It's a It's a surface parking lot. I think like the quotes that got me to were people on social media responding to the story saying, you know, like, but what about tourists? Like, what if they see a bunch of homeless people in Balboa Park? 
It's like, um, they do. They, they, they already do. They, they, currently, right now, there's people sleeping there. Every day. Every day. Absolutely. So every they day. do. Yeah. And you know what? They <laughs> see them too, like on the way to Balboa Park. Yeah. Yeah. They're everywhere. When they pass through the actual front door of Balboa Park over in Bankers Hill yes. on the other side. Yeah. The, I'm, yeah. yeah. The actual front door of Balboa Park is the beautiful entrance across the Cabrillo Bridge mm-hmm. uh, on Loyal, Laurel Street in Balboa Park itself, the cultural heart of the park. And that reality, I think, is the thing that upsets me most about this is throughout the last decade plus, when we've been arguing about what to do at Plaza de Panama, yeah, and they, the park institutions, have insisted beyond insistence that parking is a major problem in Balboa right, Park, right? And whatever happens at Plaza de Panama must accommodate the sufficient parking needs. When people have said, "Well, you know, there's a lot of parking at Inspiration Point," they've said. Oh, you mean that dump on the other side of park that no one will ever go to because it's so far away? Yeah, and now and it drive the the bait and switch of it is audacious. It's just aud- it drives me insane. It's it, like, do you? Am I really supposed to believe that that you think that I don't remember what you have said about Inspiration Point every time it's been offered as a parking destination? It's so offensive to me, like. And, and I'm not saying that Peter Comiskey has ever been the person who said that. It might be other people who have been in his position. But the idea that Inspiration Point is like a sufficient place to send people has been offensive to park institutions for years. Inspiration Point is really the front door to Balboa Park. Get out of here. Or, or okay, fine. Then that means we can take parking out of Plaza de Panama yes, the and send them over to the actual front door. Where there's tons of parking. <laughs> yes. There's absolute just bushels uh, of parking. Unused parking day <laughs> after day after day. Just... Oceans of parking that are unused. There's a tram pickup there that the whenever people are like, well, we could send them there. And it's, then tra- they're like, that's actually, too far. They won't actually, go there. We have gone. We have actually fixed this. Thank you. Yeah, it is. You, you know, you're right. Problem. You're right. We're going to take you at your word. You believe that's the front door of Bell It Park. really is. And so a, that's a, a sufficient. You know what? We don't have to put the homeless encampment there. But luckily, we've solved the bar- parking problems in <laughs> Balboa Park because, as you said, this is the front door. Okay. Let's move on to Andrea's point. The I'm second so one. mad about it. I know. The, the, se- <laughs> the second thing is this thing that that homeless residents would hurt the welcoming environment of the guests who come to the park and the paid staff and school children. He brought school children into this too? He's going to dump school children into this? I mean, Look, you're I'd like be... dumping tourists and everything else and calling it the front door. You might But as he's well just hitting all of the like, like if the Simpsons did an episode about yeah. NIMBYs, they would use a quote like this. What about the school children? This has nothing to do with me and my own. Yeah, not my or, interest. No, this is about the school children. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing. Like you said, Balboa Park has a lot of people who are not sheltered right now. Mm-hmm. And throughout the park, in corners, at the front doors of the cultural institutions that you represent, there are people sleeping right now. In the canyons? In the canyons. And so part of the whole point is to give them a place set aside. And then the debate about what to do with the folks who may not want to go over there. That's going to be an issue. But let's not pretend that there's some sort of pristine park that this at the front door would for the first time bring homeless people into. Yeah. So... uh, Okay, the third issue here that we want to go over is this is this ongoing discussion. So this is heating up. This has been something we have circled around for quite some time, which is the framework of let's set aside some areas for people to go mm-hmm. while we wait for the housing to catch up to the need and some level of enforcement everywhere else so that they do not or invitation, or something everywhere else so that they are not in places that are near schools, are near parks, parks, schools with the school children, with all the school children. And so that is the big debate going forward. Now, Whitburn 
is trying to lead, as we talked about last week, with the, the mayor of San Diego, uh, spurred in part by the mayor's uh, rivals in the community who want to you know, come down strong on the people who want to uh, set up camp throughout the city and, uh, and, and also set aside enough uh, shelter for them. All of them are working on that, on that sort of framework, and it's coming together. Now, people were a little, as we predicted, upset that they emphasized enforcement so much last week. Uh, John Brady, who was formerly homeless, he lives, or he, he created a consulting firm called Lived Advisors, who helps people who are trying to fix the homeless crisis. Think about it from a person who lived the experience. He's like, what are we, why are we going right on enforcement? There's still not enough room uh, for people to go to uh, if they want a place to stay. So these debates are going to fire up. But I got a theory on all this. Oh, God. They got, they have got to stop rolling these things out individually and then watching them get smacked around and then being like, boy, see, people don't really like these minor individual plans that don't solve the whole thing. Okay. Um, I don't disagree. However, I do have a bit of experience of, of seeing some of these. Well, every time we fight piecemeal here and there, yeah. we lose. So that's why we're rolling out our official blueprint, let our, say, climate action plan <laughs> to handle all of these conversations at once. That'll give us the leverage. People won't be able to to you know, pick us off one by one and fight us in factions here or there. We'll have a consolidated answer to that. And uh, my perspective of, of having seen what those all at once plans do, it, it doesn't matter. I understand. People you're are right. just going to oppose it. I understand. I'm not saying you're going to get rid of the opposition. Yeah. But I am saying that if you keep like focusing on one like tiny part of a solution, mm-hmm. You're gonna, you're, you are gonna face a lot of opposition, and you know people are gonna be able to say like, this isn't gonna solve the whole thing. Like, what are we gonna do about the whole thing? I think you need the only way we're going to address this whole problem is if the entire community is bought into the idea that like this is an emergency that needs to be dealt with, and everybody's gonna have to contribute something to get there. You're gonna have to set aside a parking lot somewhere. You're gonna have to set aside. Uh, part of your house or a you know something to make this all work. It's just a yeah, the the house. I mean, as yeah. volunteer, when was going <laughs> to take your bedroom for a homeless person? I'm saying like I, yeah, that's fine. I <laughs> the uh, the way I would say it is is as Lisa talked to a couple people in this where if you say well we're going to do X and that will allow us to do Y. In this case, we're going to provide a safe campsite, and that will allow us to have significant enforcement that we don't currently have among all the other uh, unofficial encampments that are all around the city. Mm -hmm. One of those things is easier than the other. Yeah. And we're going to do the easier one. Right. And the fact that we've done the easier one, in practice, I think our, our experience is doesn't actually make us more likely to do the hard one. Right. We end up just getting the easy one. Right. And so in this case, that means we'll get the enforcement without the safe camping. Yeah. Even if they're rolled out as one allows us to do the other. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, we saw this earlier with the other safe camping uh, spot that they set aside or tried to at 4th and Beach, remember? And the people at the El Cortez uh, residence were like, nah, we don't want that there. And the city's like, well, people didn't want it there, so we're not going to do it. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's, it's, it's just a little frustrating because a tiny, you know, 40 person uh, area near the El, Cor- or, or El Cortez isn't going to fix anything. But a bunch of these efforts underway. And if the city had seen the mayor every day saying like, today we're setting aside this one, tomorrow we're setting aside this one, the next day we're setting aside this one, like it would be seen as more of a like, there's just there's just a rolling movement to deal with this crisis and everybody needs to get on board. Uh, I'm just saying, uh, this is just, it's it's not coming together well. It's got all the impression of, a, of an idea that's gonna get shot down at some point. Um, but... Uh, this discussion about the framework of setting aside area in exchange for enforcement is going to continue. Yeah. Well, and the good news is, you know, we've we've settled the 
Balboa Park parking issues. Yes. Congratulations, Peter. You you did something that people never thought possible, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hi, Lopez. What's up? The single most interesting and important thing to know about the Jason Hughes and 101 Ash Street and Civic Center Plaza scandal is that he had a secret contract with the owner of those two buildings where if he got the city to lease to own first Civic Center Plaza and then 101 Ash Street, he would get 45% of the profits of that deal. And if he didn't, if it failed, he would have to pay 45% of their losses. So he was helping the city decide and trying to get them to purchase to you know basically to lease to own those buildings all the while having a contract with the guys trying to sell the buildings that he would share in their profits or share in their losses if it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And he never once told the city about this arrangement that he had that not only was he getting a fee or broker's fee or something like that he was a partner with them in the deal Mm -hmm. when you say it like that it doesn't sound great it doesn't sound great all right now i'm gonna dial back a lot okay way back when the city of san diego wanted to build a new city hall but there was uh there was a guy in town jason hughes and a few other politicians who were like you cannot do that don't buy a new tower downtown, a new building. We can get the city employees good leases in buildings already downtown and save you a bunch of money. There's no need to build a new city hall. The city was forced to drop the new city hall concept. And this guy, Jason Hughes, a broker, said, I'm going to work. I would be happy to help you find good leases for your employees. And we'll save a bunch of money. And just to make sure we're clear that I'm only doing this out of the out of the goodness of my heart, out of the concern for the city, I am not going to charge my typical broker fee for these deals. I'm volunteer. Gonna, I'm going to volunteer. That's true. And the mayor at the time, Jerry Sanders, said, we can use volunteers to pick up trash at the park or whatever. But not for complex financial negotiations. And we pay people to do that for us. And Jason Hughes didn't like that, but that's how that ended. The next mayor came in, though. Bob Filner had a little more expansive view of his uh, ability to be creative in this role. Yeah. And he's like, that sounds Fan- like a fantastic, fantastic, just fantastic a idea. Fantastic idea. And he said, Jason Hughes, come aboard. They had a press conference. They're like, look at this guy. What an upstanding. Member of this community wants to do save, this work. Save millions of dollars for the city. And so for years, they worked on new leases for city employees in the city of San Diego and got better deals and they saved some money. Yeah. I know somebody who, after Filner was forced to resign in, in disgrace, was constantly on like a no one ever talks about all the great thing Filner great things Filner did kick was yeah. like trying to, to like revive his image yeah and like regularly would be like remember how many millions of dollars he saved with all those those real estate deals right well so fast history forward, continued the next mayor kevin faulkner mm-hmm. kept it going he's like this is great yeah. volunteer he even gave a quote to jason hughes about how great a service he was providing that hughes used on his website about just how you know how benevolent this man was for serving the city as well as he had for free. And so it got to the point where one at one point, the city has a bunch of people who work in a tower called Civic Center Plaza. It's right across the plaza from City Hall. It's where the city attorney works. And the owners of that building were getting tired of the city. The city had talked about buying the building from them uh, and it wasn't happening. The lease negotiations weren't going well. And so uh, the city, for a lot of reasons, did not want to borrow the money to purchase the building outright. And so Hughes came up with an idea. He went to a company called Sistera and he said, how about you purchase this building 
And then we'll sell it to the city as a lease to own where they don't have to buy it outright with all the cash. They can just keep paying you rent at a higher level. And then eventually it's enough rent that they'll be able to buy the building outright. Yeah. He said, you, bu- you go out and finance the purchase of a tower. The mm-hmm. city doesn't want to finance the purchase of a tower. But you, you don't mind. You have access to financial markets. Go buy the tower. Instantaneously, you can turn around and sign this lease deal with the city. They'll pay you every month to lease, lease the space. And over time, they'll pay off the equivalent of buying the property. Um, you will make much more than you've borrowed here. But hey, city, you don't need to worry about the fact that you're essentially overpaying for this property because you'll still, in the end, spend less than you would have if you just kept paying a regular old lease. And so they did. They did the deal. Everyone's happy. Everybody's fine. So then they uh, another building. Sempra moves out of the tower across the street from our office, 101 Ash Street. Uh, you like how it looks. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I stare really? at it every day. It's a very big building, and it's right there. That's mm-hmm. all I'm going to say about it's it. It's no Qualcomm Stadium, which is my my favorite <laughs> of the of the brutalist architecture of um, San Diego. It's gone. Which is gone, but I did love that building. It's very replaced brutal. with bren- benches. <laughs> so <laughs> dunk. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> JK. So uh, this building was empty. It's right there across the street from City Hall. It'd be great for hundreds of city employees that don't have a guaranteed future in any building. And negotiations begin for the city to purchase it. But again, the city, for various reasons, does not want to borrow the money and purchase it outright. And Jason Hughes says, hey, what about that company comes and purchases it again, sells it to you as a lease to own? We'll do it again. We'll just run it back. Literally like clones the, the the paperwork. Same paperwork. Everything goes forward. And the mayor at the time, Kevin Faulkner, ends up saying, fantastic. Mm-hmm. It goes forward. They buy the building. There we go. So they uh, want to move the employees into this building, but they decide like, let's just move more employees into the building. So they start doing renovation work on it. The renovation work, though, is done poorly. And for whatever reason, it disturbs asbestos. And finally, over time, there's a lot of reporters and others who are like, why haven't you moved employees into this building? It's costing like $18,000 a day and nobody works out of this building. What's going on? That was the Union Tribune led that reporting. Jeff McDonald, absolutely earliest on the case on that one. And, you know, I mean, I think a lot of their early decision making here was motivated by fear of headlines by Jeff McDonald beating yeah. them up about how much money they were spending for a building where no one was. So there was this dram- dramatic, dramatic climax where they tried to move city employees into the building and then county health and air pollution experts get in there and they're like, no, no. get them out immediately. And the city did. And that's where the scandal took on like another level. It, the numbers come out about how much it's going to cost to make this a healthy building. Everything starts falling apart and investigations begin. And everybody's like, what happened? We, at that point, say, Lisa Halverstadt, Jesse Marks, a couple others, let's look into what happened here, right? Mm -hmm. Lisa pretty soon discovers that of all the transaction data that's out there, there is a missing $14 million where nobody can explain to her where $14 million went, right? Yep. And this is where the current scandal begins. Are you with me? We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., they help high achievers enjoy their lives more fully, manage their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com. The team at Education First believes the world is better when people understand each other. Since 1965, Education First has helped millions of people explore new countries and cultures and see the world. You can join Education First by opening up your home to an international student and get paid for it as a host family. 
Education First has a school in Point Loma actively recruiting host families. Learn more at efhomestay.com. That's efhomestay.com. So all the while, we know Jason Hughes still, and he presents as a volunteer that he has continued to advise the city. He, in the meantime, has served the mayor as uh, as one of the volunteer members of the Citizens Advisory Group Citizen on Stadium, stadium Advisory Group. Citizen Stadium Advisory Group on what should happen for the Chargers Stadium. CSAG, obviously. CSAG. And uh, he's, he's just well-known. There's all, again, still as the volunteer. But uh, Lisa starts to uncover more and more information that seems to indicate that maybe he got paid in this deal. She does a story circling around that concept where he issues to her a statement that is unambiguously a threat. That if you continue to suggest that this is, is the case, that we did something uh, you know, where we didn't have proper disclosures, mm-hmm. we will sue. That's the, the implication of the quote. Sue you. Yes. So it's a pretty tense moment. But then, well, how long ago was it uh, where they reveal finally? It'll be two years in July. Two years ago in July. The city starts investigating and lawsuits begin. And it comes out through subpoenas that, in fact, he was getting paid this whole time. That he had a contract that he formalized with those guys he, he brought in to buy those two buildings. Where he said, if, if we sell the building, if, if, where the, the, the owners say, if we sell the building, we'll give you 45% of the profits we make. And if the city doesn't buy that building, you have to help us with 45% of the losses we take having done all this. Yeah, that's a contract, too. It's it a, a signed contract. Yes, that the city did not know about. So now we had to wrap our minds around, and listeners of the show yeah. will remember when we did the enormity of that revelation. That no longer was he this benevolent volunteer, but in fact he had gotten paid more than nine million dollars. Yeah. In these transactions, as a partner mm-hmm. with the company trying to sell the city these buildings. So since then. We have faced a barrage of attacks from his lawyers saying the city's completely off base. There was nothing illegal done Is there here. anything you would want to note about his lawyers, who else they've worked with in the past, any, any sort of uh, track record they have on this sort of matter? Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, Charles Harder. The Darth Vader of media law. (laughs) This guy is the guy who Hulk Hogan hired to sue Gawker, who we later found out was funded by Peter Thiel, the Silicon Valley billionaire, who had a longstanding grudge against Gawker. He funded this lawsuit. Charles Harder was able to basically bankrupt Gawker. And in this rather large portfolio of news sites is run, at least as an independent operation owned by Nick Denton at the time. So he was well known as the guy you hire to go kill a media outlet. Mm -hmm. And we start getting letters from him saying, how dare you insinuate these things that you are, that something illegal happened here or that he didn't fully disclose what he was doing appropriately, all of these things, right? His defense was, hey, I told the city I wanted to get money. Look, I have a letter where I said to the city, I'm going to get money. I'm going to seek payment, but not from the city. And then he got the city's real estate chief to sign the letter. Mm -hmm. The city's real estate chief said later, I don't remember that letter, maybe. Yeah, she hasn't ever said, I didn't sign it, but she also hasn't said, yeah, I remember signing it. And then he said, I told the mayor and his chief of staff that that was, that was what I was going to do and that that letter, and they told me to do that letter and that she would sign. But the letter never said, oh, by the way, I have a signed contract 
with the people you're negotiating with that if you do this deal, I get the profits or some of them, or if you don't, I get some of the losses. Right. And yeah, like real estate transactions have pretty specific disclosure requirements. It's it's not like a, it's not an email. You no. know, they, they, there's actual filing requirements. It's It's relatively complex. Well, and the city itself has disclosure requirements about economic interests in projects, right? Right. It, you, it, the, the heart of the law is you're not supposed to do a deal where you make money from the city where A, you don't disclose what's going on, or B, there's not a competitive process to, to make sure that people had equal chances to get those jobs, right? Right, right. And he had done gone through neither. Correct. So what happened this week is A, we learned that the district attorney had been has been investigating this as a criminal violation of the conflict of interest law in the city of uh, or in the in the state of California, which she says is very rare because it's usually a civil or administrative investigation, but this was a criminal one because it was so clear, and he should have known better, and. Uh, they made a deal with him and the judge and uh, his attorneys and the prosecutors where they say, A, he has to pay back the city $9.4 million. His commission on these two deals. B, he has to pay a $400 fine. <laughs> the funny little footnote. But, <laughs> uh, and be- but that was because he pled guilty to a misdemeanor violation of that government section code 1090, which is what stipulates the conflict of interest. Now, And he's on probation for one year. One year. Can't commit any other crimes. Which, by the way, as we've, we've had people who've been on probation on our staff before and they've made clear to us, that's no cake. Yeah. It's not fun. Yeah. So, yeah, so the, the conflict of interest law allows for civil remedies. So the city was pursuing that. They were trying to sue him for it. They settled that as part of this, you know, universal settlement. Um, you could also the DA could have charged a felony, um, or as they d- resolved it here, they charged him with a misdemeanor, which he pled guilty to. Let me say that again: they charged him with a misdemeanor that he pled guilty to. Uh, I I say that twice on account of the very specific letters of disavowal that we received based on our reporting, based on Lisa Halverstadt's reporting about what seemed to be the case based on all of the public information she was able to pull together. I don't want to belabor it, Yeah, but let's play the clip. Yeah. The factual basis reads as follows, that while being a person prohibited by government code section 1090 and acting in that capacity, Mr. Hughes willfully participated in the making of a contract on or about January 3rd, 2017, in which he had a financial interest in violation of government code section 1090. Uh, your client admits that factual basis. Yes, Your Honor. And for the purposes of this Your client admits that factual ba- basis. Yes, Your Honor. You know what's great about our freedom of speech laws and our, our libel laws in this country? Truth is a universal defense against any sort of accusation of libel. So what we can say conclusively here is that he has sworn in open court in front of everyone of this country that he committed a illegal conflict of interest against the city of San Diego and the taxpayers of San Diego. He said that. He, he, he admits that that is a factual basis. Yeah, and that is a fact. There's there's sort of three points I want to drive home here. Mm-hmm. One, the guy's entire business model, his whole as his you call marketing it, campaign, his marketing separation statement, as they call it. You know what separates you from the other people in the field mm-hmm. is that he's the one that protects you from conflicts of interest. That everyone else is uh, improperly beholden to landlords, and he's not. And thus, you should trust him with your business because he's the one that's going to get your best deal because everyone else is is inappropriately conflicted. Yeah, he basically says the whole real estate market is like 
fruit from the poison tree. That and, the whole thing is, oh, these brokers, they represent they represent landlords and then they also represent tenants, but they can't fight for you as a tenant because tomorrow they need to represent that same landlord in a different transaction. And so you're always going to get, you know, that you're always going to be the run to the litter, but I'm different. I only represent tenants. Yeah. He pushed for harder laws, forcing landlords and, and brokers for them to disclose if they had a relationship in, in these commercial transactions. And in fact, the district attorney cited that in her press conference about why they pursued this criminally. What we look at is the person's expertise and experience. In this case, Jason Hughes was the expert and he should have known better. In fact, he was one that was introduced as the expert in Sacramento in order to make the laws regarding real estate stronger. So he knew better. And this is why the charge is a criminal charge and not just an administrative charge or a civil charge. Okay. The second point I want to make, I would like to talk about former Mayor Kevin Faulkner for a second. Okay. Because now we have the we have Jason Hughes admitting pleading to pleading to a misdemeanor criminal violation of the state's conflict of interest char, uh, laws, right? Mhm. And uh, the mayor was uh, working very closely with Jason Hughes during this time. And it was under his watch that Jason Hughes made more than $9 million on these deals that the mayor supported and pushed through. Mm-hmm. And uh, at one point, there's credible evidence that Hughes himself told the mayor and his chief of staff and the real estate director who reports to the mayor that doing these deals had crossed a line and he was going to be seeking compensation. Is that cool? Yeah. And they, they, according to him said, sure. Yeah. And I want to just say like how absurd it is. Like there's no one else in the transaction. You're not going to get paid by the city. No one else is giving money out. Yeah, that's it. The money is coming from the city. Like, okay, first it goes to Cesara's bank account and then to your bank account. It's all city money. The yeah. city of Seattle's not involved. Yeah. You know, the, 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 yeah. the Washington commanders yeah. are not part of the transaction. Yeah. There's only one entity le- getting rid of money and then everyone else is getting money. If you're getting money... It's the city as it's the city's money. And it's alarm bells it's alarm preposterous bells. to say you don't understand how the flow of money works. So so these guys wanna <laughs> act like, you know, they had the city under control better than the current administration. And yet this guy pulled almost ten million dollars out of these deals under their watch and basically told them he was going to try to get money from these deals. And they're like, okay. Yeah. And so, look, like Summer Stefan in her press conference said that, like, that was a complexity sure. to this deal, that his defense that no, I did disclose this was something that they were apprehensive about going to a jury with because, you know, you can you could bring in a legal analyst who says that's not sufficient disclosure, but get in front of a, a, a jury of your peers who are not real estate experts, they very well may conclude that that was enough and that this, it was then incumbent on the city to follow up on that. And so they that was part of the motive for the DA and the city to plea, mm-hmm. right? Th- that's part of it. Now, it it's obviously the case that that isn't a full, uh, full-throated disclosure. That's not going through the required process. You know, in, in any other financial tra- transaction, there's meaningful paperwork to be done beyond just like having a conversation with somebody. But so, so she acknowledges that that was a complexity. What we can acknowledge here in the uh, in the court of public opinion, and just in terms of what smells, is that the mayor's office, the administration, didn't act on that information. Whatever that had to do with the law and the difficulty of prosecuting this as a crime. What is absolutely clear is if somebody tells you, 
hey, I know I'm a volunteer, but I'm going to try to get a piece of this thing, man. You ask them to do some damn paperwork. Yeah. You ask them what they mean. Yeah. You, you, who? You, who you, are you going to ask yeah. to pay when, you? When the finances of the deal come in front of you, you say, hey, by the way, did Jason Hughes ever figure out how to get some money in this thing since he told us that? Where is that in this pro forma? Yeah. Like, like that's your job. That's yeah. In fact- that's the case you made for getting the job. Yeah. That you were going to be the one who polices that sort of thing because you're a, you're an adult. You're an adult in the room, not not like these silly kids who just want to give freebies out to everybody else. Yes, I I mean it's just it's so clear. Now I want to make a separate point. We would have never known any of this if asbestos had not gotten disturbed at this building when they were trying to move city employees into it. There is another part of this case that's just bananas. And that's that's the part of it where Jason Hughes got furious at the city because he was bidding on a on a job to oversee the the renovation of the building for the new employees who were going to come into it. And he wanted that job. And it's pretty clear that he wanted that job and he was frustrated that he didn't get that job. And because he didn't get that job, and the person who did get that job disturbed the asbestos, the scandal was kicked off, and all of this stuff happened, this investigation happened, and it was later revealed that he actually pulled $9 million out of it. If that asbestos is not disturbed, and the investigations don't begin, and the scandal doesn't get kicked off, and people are working in that building as we speak, we don't ever know that he got more than $9 million out of it. And here's the interesting part. There was another part of this investigation Lisa revealed later in her reporting where there is this moment where he says to the landlords who are making this deal, he says, are you going to put in there a line item showing my, the fees that I'm getting out of this deal? Because I don't want you to do that. And the guy responds like, no, 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 don't worry. We're not even going to mention it. And he's like, even better. Even better. Like he has no intention of telling the people that he made $9 million out of it. It is pretty obvious that over the next few years, we could have easily believed that he did all of this still out of the goodness out of his, out of his heart. That he was just still serving as a volunteer during this period. That he hadn't pulled $9.4 million out of it. Mm-hmm. Now, this third and final point I want to make here is that this still doesn't feel like adequate recompense for what has been admitted, right? Yeah. So let's go through what he got rid of or what he got here. He's on probation. He got a $400 fine. He gives $9.4 million back to the city. Now, that $9.4 million sat in his accounts. For the better part of the last decade, people who are better at math can sit there right now and think about how much he may have been able to make on that during that period. Right. The city basically gave him a 0% loan for $9.4 million for several years. For several years. And basically, he's able to now get out of this and just pay it back. And within the next two years, he could probably have this whole thing expunged. Mm-hmm. So, as as clear of a resolution as this is, I can see why some folks are maybe not satisfied. But it also seems clear that the reason they couldn't do it harder was because of the complexities we talked about earlier, about the wishy-washy leadership of the city, about some of the issues with the... Uh, with the statute of limitations and other issues that come up about how difficult it is to prosecute. And yet what Summer Suffer says in that pre- press conference is like she interprets his, you know, I'm disclosing, but I'm not really disclosing as him expertly walking the line to create the complexity that made prosecution so difficult. Mm-hmm. That, that he was doing so intentionally to give himself cover for exactly this situation. It would have been the perfect crime. If not for the asbestos, that's the the, the Scooby Doo moment. I would have got away with it. If it wasn't for the damn asbestos. <laughs> so a couple of notes. Kudos to uh, Lisa Halberstadt, right? Yeah, she took a lot of flack during this process. She uh, 
she had to cover something. A lot of people were like, boy, this is getting boring. Yeah. Um, and, and she stuck with it. She was dogged and she did some great work. Uh, and she was the one who uh, wiped away all of preconceived notions about what might have happened or potential villains and just looked at the facts constantly and just looked at the records constantly. And she was the one that identified in that that uh, there was a missing chunk of money. Well, her, her, her big revelation, the thing that, that changed the course of the investigation that came from her was, oh, we are limiting this too much by looking at 101 Ash. The story began with C- uh, Civic Center Plaza. Mm-hmm. That was not part of the discussion about the 101 Ash Street scandal until Lisa said, oh, it all started with Civic Center Plaza. And that is what led her to Hughes, which also he was just not a big part of this scandal at, until she started saying there's this missing money. Civic Center Plaza led her to the missing money, missing money led her to Hughes. And she was the one who started reporting about the fact that it seemed like Jason Hughes might have gotten an awful lot of money. And many legal threats came her and our way as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to I wish should say there. Jeff McDonald, very beginning of this whole thing, starts with the the you know the impulse of a of a of an old school journalist just saying, "Wait, they're paying eighteen thousand dollars a day for an empty building. Yeah, why are they doing that? Right." And didn't know the answer to it. Didn't know that there was an asbestos violation. Didn't know there was a a broker who was making out with money. Just knew that that didn't make sense. And like a dog with a bone, ran at it. Mm-hmm. Well. The the investigation is now complete, at least into him. Uh, uh, there's also the fact now that the city owns those two buildings outright. In fact, this week, it completed the borrowing of the money to refill the the capital projects funds, you know, the, the parks and libraries and such funds that they set aside to build things uh, after they took money out of that to purchase 101 Ash Street straight out. And now... The discussion will continue about what to do with those buildings, in particular 101 Ash and the others. Do we sell them off and let developers build a new city hall and and build some condos, or do they just sell them off and build a, a city hall right to the side? Who knows? But uh, it's amazing to kind of see a, a resolution like this come. You can see the full exhaustive investigation of 101 Ash Street at VOSD.org slash 101 Ash. That's VOSD.org slash 101 Ash. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast in San Diego. It is the start of our spring fundraising campaign. You can make a huge difference today by donating at VOSD.org slash pod people. That's VOSD.org slash pod people. You'll help secure funding for this show and all of our unique reporting we do in service to the region. Please, if you enjoy this or appreciate this, there is a direct line to what we do and the city getting $9.4 million back. That's $9.4 million in taxpayer funds that can go to libraries, cops, uh, roads, all kinds of things. And we had a direct role in that. That is what investigative journalism can do for a community. It is a bargain. It is a banger bargain. Please consider contributing just a small part of it. Any any dollar here really helps us make a, a case to, to other funders as well that this is worth funding. This is worth it. And other people are in. Go to VOSD.org slash pod people. VOSD.org slash pod people. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice of San Diego. Andrew Keats is Managing Editor. Andrea Lopez Villafania is also Managing Editor. Nate John is our expert producer and has made this something you can listen to. We are very much appreciative of it. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.